Guess where we are. If uh, you're a visitor here, uh, we have been working our way through the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, and we're in the last chapter of the last book. And then we'll start all over again. No, we won't. Revelation chapter 22. It should also appear on the screen. So uh, just by way of introduction, we have reached the end of this remarkable book. And in some ways, we know that uh, we have just skimmed the surface of this book. And part of that was deliberate. But we also, just in that brief view that we have had chapter by chapter, we have glimpsed the depths of this amazing revelation that was given to John. And we have seen, with the eyes of faith, we have seen Jesus risen, reigning, and we're expecting his return. And as the visions come to an end, John in this final chapter, dazed in adoration, once again falls at the feet of the revealing angel in worship. And uh, the angel has to say to John, don't do it. Don't do it. Worship God and him alone. And this is the second time John has been tempted to worship at the feet of an angel instead of the revealed God. And I think John includes this because there is a temptation, and it certainly was in the days of John, to to uh, worship revealed things in the natural world. And even within the church, there was a temptation to be caught up with visions. Easier to be religious than to be faithful in relationship with God. And so often what I encounter on on our Alpha course of people who have been put off by religion, when they discover Jesus, it is a complete difference. It's easier to be captivated sometimes by the supernatural than live Holy lives for God, day by day by day. And John is told that angels, apostles, prophets, and all believers stand on the same level, kneel together on the same ground as worshippers of God himself. And I say this in a way because the book of Revelation itself has over the years been treated as some kind of mystical thing. That people get interested in about everything else in this book except Jesus. There's symbol hunting and number crunching. Books have been written on the numbers that are found in Revelation and what they mean and the secret code. There is no secret code. This is a revelation. It should have a clue in the title. It's not hidden, not secret. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. So speculating with frenzied imagination on the season, the dates, and the times, it misses the point. This book is about Jesus Christ. Not a timetable of eschatological events. Yes, I know that big word. It means end times. It's not about primarily the identity of the Antichrist. But it is God's story. God's creating story, God's saving story, and ultimately God's recreating story. And it is written as a revelation to the church that suffered persecution. And I want you to imagine that those believers in Egypt reading this last chapter. 
and what it means to them. Because the encouragement throughout these pages to the church has been stay true, stand, 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 Jesus is coming. And so we come to the final chapter and the revelation closes on a note of triumph. The king has come. The lamb has won. He is bringing new heaven and new earth and all suffering and pain will be abolished. And we live as those who believe in life after life after death. That if we die now, we go to be with Jesus. But if we go and be with Jesus, we will return with Jesus and inherit that new creation. There is no temple needed because the temple was a symbol of God's presence. And there will be no need for a temple because God will be in the midst. And there's no need for the sun or a lamp because God's glory will be its light. And so we come to chapter 22. And then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. It's clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life. Bearing 12 crops of fruit. Yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city. And his servants will serve him. And they will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads. And there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light. And they will reign forever and ever. The angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down in worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers, the prophets, and all who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Then he told me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, because the time is near. Let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let him who is vile continue to be vile. Let him who does right continue to do right. Let him who is holy continue to be holy. Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. And I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I'm the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. I warn anyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this prophecy, 
God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and the holy city, which are described in this book. And he who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with God's people. Amen. We've got to the end. And you have been blessed because we have read it together. And uh, we who have preached it have been blessed. Although at times it has been a struggle. Let's just pray. Father, thank you for your words. And we thank you that it is a lamp unto our feet. And we pray that this morning you would bring your light through your word into our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Encouragement is that no eye has seen and no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But his spirit has revealed it to us. We can't begin to imagine the glory that is to come. We have glimpsed it briefly through these pages of this revelation. The final vision that John receives, the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem. And through the new Jerusalem runs the river of the water of life. And it's a wonderful picture. All great cities have great rivers. Ancient cities like Rome had the Tiber and Babylon the Euphrates. And Thebes had the Nile and modern day Cairo has the Nile. And London has the Thames. And Paris has the Seine and New York has the Hudson. And Jerusalem, Jerusalem doesn't have a city. Doesn't have a river, sorry. I'm glad you're awake. Some of you didn't notice that, but it's got no great river, no river at all. It's one of the weaknesses. If you read the pages of scripture, that's how David actually captured the city because they had to bring water from outside and he and his men crept through the water shaft and took the city. But imagine for a moment we're in the temple courts this morning as the band were playing. Imagine in your mind's eye for a moment that they are the sons of Korah who wrote that worship song that we began with, Psalm 46. And as they begin the worship in the temple and the singers begin to sing this new song, and there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. And we listen and we suddenly stop singing. And we say, hang on, there isn't a river in the city of God where the Most High dwells. Don't the sons of Korah know Jerusalem at all? There's never been a river. It's as bad as singing, and indeed those feet in ancient times walk upon England's pleasant... No, they didn't. No, they didn't. Whenever I sing that song, I have to stop and say, no. But the sons of Korah saw something, I believe, in the prophetic. That there is a stream that runs through the city of God, where the Most High dwells. And this river runs the whole of the length of Scripture. Right from Genesis, the beginning, where a river watered the garden. And then the river flows out from the garden. And then it's foreseen by prophets of old. Joel, in that day, a fountain will flow from the Lord's house. 
Ezekiel has an amazing vision of water flowing out from the temple, from underneath the temple. And wherever it flows, there's life and healing. And it gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And Zechariah says, on the day of the Lord, living water will flow out from Jerusalem. And then Joel prophesies that there will be a day when God will pour out his spirit on all peoples. And Jesus himself talked about that. Imagine now you're in a different crowd, listening to a preacher from Galilee called Jesus, and he stands up on the last and greatest day of the Feast of Tabernacles, and he shouts out, if anyone is thirsty... Let him come to me and drink. As the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And by this he meant the spirit that was going to be poured out on all believers. This is the river that runs through the city of God. The river of the Holy Spirit. And in this vision... God's great river, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God through the new Jerusalem, our new home. It will be our home. And the Lamb will be there. And the Father will be there. And the Holy Spirit will be there. And we will see them face to face. This river sparkling its way through the city. And on into the countryside beyond. It's not just going to be a city. New heaven, new earth, new creation. Made perfect. But this river flows today. This river is flowing today. And God wants us to get our drinking water from that same river. You know that woman he encountered of Samaria. And offered her water. Living water. He was offering her that water of the Holy Spirit. It's a free gift offered to all. What David called prophetically in one of his Psalms, the river of delights. And this river enables fruit to flourish. And the trees of life there on the banks of the river, bearing fruit every month. Wonderful picture. The fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. All the fruits within the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem. I know some of us were imagining huge apples and pears, but I think this is the fruit of the Spirit. Because we will be like Jesus. And these are the characteristics of Jesus. And we will be made new. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. All the wounds, all the hurts. Think of all the turmoil that this world has been through. There will be healing for it all. We will not be scarred in heaven. We will not carry the wounds of the past in heaven. We will not have baggage in heaven. It will be healed. And the nations will be healed as well. As Thomas More said, there is no hurt that heaven cannot heal for individuals or the nations. And so the encouragement even here as John receives this revelation is for us who hear it to drink deeply 
of the river of the water of life now. It's available to us now. The Bible says that he has given us his spirit as a deposit. We have the Holy Spirit. If we believe in Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit. But we can have more without limits. We can keep asking for more and more and more and it will never run dry. John 3.34, God gives the Spirit without limit. He doesn't say, you've had enough. In fact, Jesus says, whoever asks him will receive more. If you ask for more, you will have more. He never holds back. And it's this river that runs through the church now. And we need the river of the water of life. We can't be the witnesses of Jesus without the river of the water of life running through us. We know what it is to have the fullness of the Spirit working through us. We have glimpses of it, but we want more and more and more. We need the Spirit so that we can proclaim Jesus to a broken and lost world. So this river runs through the heavenly city. The Father and the Lamb are there, this new Jerusalem, where there will be no more curse, no evil, nothing impure. The old order of things has passed away. And even in this last chapter, there is a last appeal for people to make a stand and make a decision. A call to decide, a call to make a choice. Whose side are you on? And there is an urgency for one day it will be too late. And Jesus, in verse 12, calls us to respond to the gospel and receive his reward. And again and again, he stresses that there are only two choices. There's no third option for the undecided. No abstentions. And, and on Alpha this week, it's just been, it's been good to hear people saying, so what you're saying is that unless we come to Jesus we will be separated from God. And that's the truth. But they have in their minds that God somehow decides, no, I don't want you. God is saying, I want you, I want you, I want you. I've died for you. I've made it possible. I want to rescue you. And all we have to do is say yes. Because we're all lost without him. And here again he calls. We can't make a complaint about that. Because heaven is heaven because there is no more sin. No more evil. And sometimes it sounds really harsh. What about all the good people? The good people who don't necessarily want Jesus or believe in Jesus. But what about them? Jesus is the rescuer. He is the way. Otherwise, it's dependent on our goodness. And we're all lost. Even our best is as filthy rags. Nothing compares to Jesus. And there will be nothing unholy in the new creation. So we have to come to Jesus and receive forgiveness. And for those who have never heard, well, Jesus will make that right judgment. Of course he will. I'm only asked that question by those who have heard. Of course I have. 
Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, first and last, beginning and end. Wonderful descriptions of Jesus. He was there from the very beginning. He has walked on this earth that he made. And he has brought it back by shedding his blood on the cross. He is the root and the offspring of David. David, that greatest king in Israel's history. Jesus is the root of David, but also the offspring of David. He was before David, ancestor and descendant. He is the bright morning star. He is the one who heralds the dawn of eternity and chases the darkness away because he is the light of the world. And we come to that final appeal. The spirit And the bride say, come. We're the bride of Christ. Our job is to say, come. Come. All who are thirsty, come to the river and drink. All who need forgiveness, come and receive it. All who long for new life, come and receive it. That's our task, to say, come. And God wants all to be saved. Loves all. There is no one he's made that he didn't love. And he has made a way for us. But also the call is to come and drink of the water of life. Come drink of the water. This morning, we've gathered to worship. Come drink of the water of life. Those of you who have come thirsty, come drink. Just ask for more and more and more and more. And it's urgent because the time is near, which is always funny, isn't it? I am coming soon. Well, 2,000 years have come and gone. How soon is soon? Because we, we go by our time, don't we? And it seems a long time. Why the delay? Well, all of us in this room should be grateful for the delay. Because that's enabled us to come into the kingdom. And that's what the delay is for. Jesus is gathering those for the kingdom. And even this coming week and the coming weeks, I pray that we will see people stepping into the kingdom before Jesus comes back. And he will come as he came the first time at the right time. And we remember that 2,000 years must be a mere heartbeat for God. But make no mistake, he is coming soon. Don't make, as Jesus says in some of his parables, people say, well, he's not coming. He's taking so long, he's not coming. Let's, let's forget about it. Let's get on, do our own thing. No, he's coming. And his reward is with him. And each one of us, everyone, all our loved ones, all our family, all our friends, all our neighbours, every one of us will stand before him. And we live as those who are expectant and vigilant. I love Martin Luther's quote, and he said, As a Christian, live as though Jesus had been crucified yesterday. Risen this morning, coming tomorrow. Live as Jesus was crucified yesterday. Risen this morning, coming tomorrow. Like that pastor who woke up every day with the curtains. Is it today, Lord? It might be. Why not? Why not?
coming of Jesus cannot be confined to a date in the sense of chronos time. It is an event. It's the event that the whole creation is waiting for. The whole creation groaning in expectation. When is Jesus coming back? And he's coming soon. But there'll always be an element of surprise. He always keeps saying, he'll come like a thief in the night. So that's what he meant. And so as we conclude this journey through this amazing book of Revelation, this apocalyptic book, four things I suggest that we should sense in our hearts if we had understood clearly this message of this book. It will cause us to want to worship. Because God is on the throne. And the Lamb wins. And worship always recovers that. Whatever has happened, worship always recovers that God is on the throne and the Lamb wins. And worship gathers everything in our common lives that has been dispersed by sin and circumstance and brings it to the attention of a holy God and we offer it, all that we are. Worship isn't songs. They're just a vehicle for our worship. Worship comes from in here. All that we are. And worship at the same time restores everything in God's revelation that has been lost or forgotten or distracted and puts it before us so we can see again. But it doesn't happen in a song. It doesn't happen just in one service, but day by day and week by week and year by year as we worship God and put him first. We will see the world as it is from a different perspective. God is on the throne. The lamb wins. In the midst of it all. In the midst of Egypt. In the midst of Syria. In the midst of all that's going on in our world. God is on the throne and the lamb wins. We don't know how he's going to sort it all out, but he says he will. And our light and momentary troubles will fade in the light of eternity. What will you be worrying about in 150,000 years' time that happened in the 80 years you were here? I don't think a lot. Especially when you can see Jesus face to face and serve him and live in that perfect world that he has created for us. This is our destiny. I don't think we'll be harking back to, oh, would you remember? Not the hurt, the pain. It's gone. We'll be healed. And it should cause us to want to live different lives because God is on the throne and the Lamb wins. And we should seek to live our lives to please God. We don't always get it right. No, we don't. And we stumble and fall, but he picks us up again and again and again. And he looks for a heart that will say, I will go for you. I want to live for you. I need your help. He is the giver of grace. Who cheers and strengthens us. And we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses who are saying, go for it, go for it. And finally, we will want to pour out our lives for him. 
in proclaiming him to people today. Daring to pray for opportunities just to share him at home, at work, at school, at college. Just a simple word for him. We want to pour out our lives in encouraging one another to be disciples. Keep on. And when we see people who are struggling, just keep on. God is on the throne, the Lamb wins. Keep on. Building God's church, praying for revival, planting new churches, reaching the nations. This is the vision that God's given us. And we want to fulfill it. All the time as we do so, crying out. One of the oldest prayers in the whole of Christian history, written Originally, in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, Maranatha, Aramaic, for come, Lord Jesus, O Lord, come. And we can pray it alongside witness. Alongside living for him every day, but saying, come, Lord, come. How long? I know you're coming at the right time, but we long for you to come soon. Only by the grace of the Lord Jesus can that victory be gained. And so we join with those Christians all through the centuries who prayed, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, come. We've reached the end. And the Lamb wins. Amen. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this book, this revelation. And we pray, Lord, that what we have glimpsed of your glory through your word as we have journeyed together will make an imprint in our lives. That we will live differently. We will long to worship. That we will proclaim you with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength, no matter what people think. Because we know that you are the hope of this world. And we trust you. As a church, we trust you. That as we look to you, seek your face, your leaders and your guiders. This morning, I believe the Lord wants to encourage those who have felt unsure of their faith. Sometimes wavered. Sometimes blown off course. The Lord wants to impress on your heart. God is on the throne. He knows. He loves you. He bought you. Through his sacrifice on the cross, you are his. Nothing can snatch you from his hand. You are secure in him. For others, he's asking us to drink deeply. Come to the river and drink deeply. That you may be filled And filled and filled again. And Lord keep in our mind's eye that vision of what is to come. That we'll live as those who believe in the forgiveness of sins. Believe in the resurrection to eternal life. Believe in the new heaven and the new earth. That you are coming again. Lord Jesus will you come. And even now in this quiet moment we invite you to come.
as we open ourselves to you. Come. Fill us again. Come, Holy Spirit. May your river flow through our lives. We long for more of you. We humbly ask for more of you. Even this morning, cause there to be a change in our lives. A change in our hearts, in our spirit, as we cling to you. Holy Spirit, come. Bring assurance, Lord. Bring a fresh anointing of your Spirit. Lord, I pray for those who just hunger to tell their friends and their work colleagues about you, but find it so difficult. I pray for an anointing of your Spirit to come to release opportunities, to release words to say, words that will go to the heart. Release your church here, we pray, to be all that we can be for you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.